now that people like are giving me the time of day, I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah. You you <laughs> you gave me a license to get crazy. So yeah. Listening to the Muzzleloaders podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything black powder. How's it going, guys? It's Darren with Muzzleloaders.com, and you're listening to the Muzzleloaders podcast. And I'm very excited today. Uh, I was able to connect with Hawk and Horse, uh, Andrew Scott Wills, and we're going to be talking about him, his music, his passion for muzzleloading, and all those kinds of things. But a little bit of backstory before we get totally started. If you're not familiar with Hawk and Horse or Andrew Scott Wills, then um, basically he has been passionate about muzzleloading and has been recording music in the uh, country music industry for a long time and recently has taken on a project to start recording a very unique style of music that I have a hard time even describing and I don't know that it fits into one specific genre. It's just whenever people ask me, I'm like, oh, it's, it's muzzleloader music. You know, it's music that you listen to when you're out at the range shooting your muzzleloader or something like that. So, um, but Andrew, go ahead and introduce yourself in your own words. Let's start talking about uh, all this stuff and this this passion project of yours. Yeah, so I, you know, muzzleloading has been a part of my life for a very long time, but uh, so is music. And um, music kind of came on super early. I, you know, I grew up singing in church and all the you know, being a creative, I, I instantly wanted to write music. My, when I got my first guitar, my first instinct was to write a song, not learn a song I heard on the radio, which is kind of strange to an average music lover, but that was my initial instinct. And that's part of being a creative, but the other love of my life has always been history. And early on, I was just, I'm talking five, six years old, Davy Crockett, you know, the yeah. Cracker Barrel cap guns, all that stuff. I was just like, oh, I love this. I love this. I love this. And I, uh, I kind of chased the, the history became the hobby and the music became my job. And yeah. so I'm just at the point in my life, I was like, I want to combine these somehow. And uh, that's where Hawk and Horse was born. Totally. I think that's pretty natural progression where people people will grind for a certain part of their life and then they like, okay, I want to I want to make my hobby my job, you know. And that's one of the nice things about working here right. is you know, there's aspects of what I do here that are, are not uh you know, every job has things that aren't the the funnest, you know. Editing editing your that you know, fiftieth right. video is kinda like, okay, we're editing videos. But um, yeah. a lot of my job, I get to sit down and talk to people like you and go to the range and things like that. And really, um, that's where my passion for muzzleloading has come. But, uh, in, in growing up, did you do a lot of muzzleloader hunting or do you, uh, rendezvous traditional inlines? Like what is, what is your preference when it comes to muzzleloading? Yeah. Um, hunting was always a big part of it. My, my grandfather was a big hunter. My, uh, all my family were just outdoor people mm. and uh back before i was even born actually my my grandpa bought all of his sons a uh or a uh a thompson center arm hawk and back i think it was like probably late 70s early 80s and he yeah. bought a kit for all of his sons and uh i actually ended up inheriting the one that my grandpa built and uh I, I never I went to rendezvous, but not as a participant. A participant, I went as a, a spectator, mm -hmm. and I went to as many as I could. I was all I just was a sponge for history, and but the muzzleloading aspect has always been hunting mostly for me. I I'm a big big hunter, and to be perfectly honest, I'd say definitely most probably like 80 percent of the deer i've taken have all been with a muzzleloader oh wow and i've always been a yeah i've always been a a more of a traditional 
muzzleloader guy just because the history. I know some people, they want a, a muzzleloader because it gets them in the woods for another season. Some, some people, you know, just like the challenge because you get one shot mm-hmm. and you got to make it count. And it, it's more, more interesting, honestly, than some, some gun you can just rack up another round. But I love it because it connects me to the past. Mm. And so I've always loved just the wood and the, you know, the gritty nature, the mechanical nature of it. And it just, you feel like connected to the past. I feel connected to Daniel Boone. I feel connected to my grandpa. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a muzzleloader does that. It it brings the past today to today that's hard to say to today yeah i i couldn't agree more i think that um the the slowness of muzzleloaders the dirty grimy nature uh the yeah the honestly like inefficiency of them i think that all of these things Mm -hmm. that people can look at as downsides people that haven't been involved in muzzleloading i look at those as total positives because when yeah. you go out uh, to the range with a muzzleloader, you're going to be spending more time there reloading. You're going to be just, you know, very methodically moving through this process. And um, same thing at a rendezvous. You know, at a rendezvous, I don't hardly ever see anybody running. <laughs> Everyone's just moving through. Right. <laughs> They're doing their trail. They call it a trail walk, not a trail run, you know. And it's just like mm-hmm. these things, they connect you back to a simpler time when um, it – we didn't have these cell phones and zoom calls and all these things distracting yeah. us. We just had, you know, you wake up in the morning, you go out, you do your work, you come back, you go to sleep, you know, it's like, and there's something about that, uh, that is, it's kind of alluring, I think. And the heritage of all that, especially when you have the legends like, you know, Daniel Boone and these other mountain men, you know, muzzleloading yeah. connects you in some way to these legends, you know, and it's like, Oh yeah, I'm using the same gun that, you know, jeremiah johnson was using or whatever and there's something right. about that that really just sparks uh you know epic stuff in as there. as a musician i naturally want to attribute it to the same thing as streaming a song versus buying a vinyl record mm-hmm. and there's just something about like a vinyl tangible you have it in your hands you put it onto this record player you drop the needle it spins yeah to me that's a muzzleloader it's just so much cooler it's more it's more tangible to to what you're listening to you it's whereas a streaming i mean it just takes a little of the the feeling out of it in my opinion so i it's similar to me it's mm-hmm. similar yeah i totally agree well i think that there's um you know real benefits it's just like you know reading an, a, an ebook or not reading an ebook but like you're reading a book on a screen or you have a physical book you know there's something about yeah. the smell of a book and all these things. And it's the same thing with black powder is like, man, the smell, the, you know, the grime you get on your hands, the having to fill the pan yeah. with powder, like all these things are just so, um, addicting, you know? And it's like, yeah. Muzzle loading is just such a, an, an important piece that I think people, it, it's tragic, but I think people really oftentimes overlook it as like, well, you know, I rifle hunt. So why on earth would I do something else? You know, that's way less efficient. It's like, well, there's something to be learned in the inefficiency. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes you make that shot count. It makes you focus a little more and Mm kind of, I don't know, kind of put all of your, your thoughts and senses into this shot because you got to make this count, especially if you're hunting Mm -hmm. or if you're in a, you know, a competition, it, it makes it, I don't know. It's, I think it's good for a human to slow down and to take it all in and, you know, to push a ramrod and to, you know, hear the clicking of a, of a lock going back. It's, it's just very mechanical. I, I say mm-hmm. that a lot mechanical. There's something cool about things that are mechanical. It's very human. Yeah. Well, it's very obvious, you know, because, Regular yeah. firearms have mechanical aspects to them, but it's like with a, with right. a side lock, it's very obvious. Everything that's happening, very um, uh, yeah. lots of texture to it, you know. Yeah, 
Um, so with the history, I know we talked about this on uh, on the over the phone a little bit earlier, but mm-hmm. uh, you are interested in like the Daniel Boone era history mostly, correct? Um, but that's where it all started for sure. Yeah, got it. And so what what it like? What have you learned? Like, where do you like to spend your time when it comes to that? Or you just learn everything you can about muzzleloader history? I mean, it, it everything. I, I've read so much, even up to the Civil War, where you know muskets were used, and uh, which honestly, by that time, they were kind of almost obsolete. But they were able to be made in mass quantity. Mm-hmm. But all the way back to the beginning, I've I grew up in Denia, Ohio, which it's it's a very, it's a small town, but there's a, there's just so much history there. And, um, I actually was talking to my dad the other day, who's been doing some research at the local library. And he was looking at the census from 1820. And there was Samuel Hawkin who lived in Xenia and built guns hmm. for a couple of years before moving on to St. Louis and meeting up with his brother, his when he was in Zini, his wife passed away and he had no family left. And so he was like, well, I guess I'm going to go on the Missouri and meet up with Jacob. And then they became the Hawken that we all know. Yeah. Um, but also this is the hometown of the great Shawnee war chief, Shawnee uh, Tecumseh. He was the one who rallied all the different tribes together in the late 1700s to um, combat the encroachment of the settlements, you know, pushing West. Also Simon Kenton, he was in this area so much. And so I, I couldn't avoid it living mm-hmm. where I lived. It was all around me, but my dad could see my passion for this. And so, right. I think I was about 15. He's like, here, you're going to want to read this. And he handed me the Frontiersman by Alan Eckert which was like literally throwing gasoline on a fire. <laughs> I, I started, I, as I read it, that book is notorious in it, for the references. There's like an entire, you know, half inch section of references in the back of the book. And because that Eckert, when he was writing it, he, he was meticulous about the exact place where things happened and the, the, the backstory to how he got this information. And, mm-hmm. So I would use that as a, as a map and I would go to these different places and see where Simon Kenton, you know, ran this gauntlet or where Daniel Boone escaped or, you know, all this stuff. And it's all related to muzzleloading because Mm -hmm. that was the premier weapon and hunting tool of the time. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that I think is interesting is as I've done the podcast longer, I've talked to a lot of people from the East coast and yeah, most of the people I've talked to from the East coast uh, are very, like very, very interested in history because you're living in it. And I didn't really yeah. realize how prolific that was until this past March when a buddy and I, we drove across the country and we went to, um, well, we, we went to, uh, Washington DC, but we drove up through, Maryland and into Pennsylvania and you know we stopped in Gettysburg and all these things it's like man history is everywhere over there you know whereas like where I live yeah you you have the Oregon Trail you know you have you have a lot of like the um, a lot of that kind of history Um, but like as far Mm -hmm. as revolutionary and you know civil war all that kind of stuff is is back east and it's awesome yeah and I feel like a lot of that is because it was so all you know it was settled in a very condensed manner and so all this history happened within you know 10 miles of each other whereas you go out west and some huge history happened but it's spread out mm-hmm. it's big spaces out there and you can still see that today if you look at a map you know the yeah. eastern side of the country is all populated heavily yeah and as you move you know west until you get to california it's way more scattered Mm -hmm. and that's a reflection of history when you look at that you can see where where you know towns were established along rivers and along 
you know, Oregon trails mm-hmm. or, or different, you know, different regions based on who was there first and who came from where. And it's really interesting to dive down those rabbit holes and find out, you know, why was this, why is this town here? Like Pittsburgh, for instance, why? I know so many people from Pittsburgh. I have family there. I have mm. a lot of friends from Pittsburgh and it helped me understand their upbringing and personalities a little bit more. Cause I found out, Oh, they, that was first established by the French long ago. It was, that's why it was called Fort Duquesne. But then it was taken over by the English and then it became Fort Pitt. And so you have this, this gritty French fur trapper out on the outskirts of the frontier mentality with um, lots of Catholic um, folks who Fort Duquesne even had a, a, a Catholic priest on site for the troops when there was only like 50 men stationed there. Like Mm. that's how important that was back then. And, Anyway, you can see how the culture mix, mixes and turns into what it is today. And then you have all the the frontiersmen that pushed west and ended up in Pittsburgh, the Lewis Wetzels and the the gritty, you know, almost, you know, blue-collar kind of folk. And that's what Pittsburgh is today. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's what you think when you think the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because the Oregon Trail ran through my hometown, LaGrande here, and also Baker City, and there's a whole bunch of towns kind of strung along where the Oregon Trail ran. And, you know, I never really thought about it that way, but, you know, those towns, you know, I think LaGrande's been around since people were running on the Oregon Trail. You know, I think there's gra- there's a graveyard out here that has graves from the 1700s and stuff. So people have been out here for wow a long time. I don't even know who was out here at that time, but it's just fascinating that there's history wow. everywhere, even as even out West where it seems like you're kind of removed from a lot of the revolution history and all that stuff. Every place has history. You just got to dig into it. Absolutely. And it all, you know, connects to muzzle loading. And that's why I'm passionate. Even during regular rifle season, sometimes I just opt to take the muzzle loader because of that very reason. I like being connected to the past mm-hmm. and, some of my buddies think I'm crazy. They're like, why would you take a, a, a you know, what they call a, a lesser gun for the season? <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe I'm just, uh, I'm better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, people look at you kind of sideways because I, I drew an elk tag this year and um, I'm planning to hunt it with a muzzle loader. Uh, and so yeah. it's just kind of one of those things where they're like, why would you? do that you know because it's a rifle tag it's a regular rifle tag but um, right right you know it's like because muzzleloader hunting's fun and then this year I, I also drew a muzzleloader tag for deer and i could use an inline legally but it's like i'm gonna try and use a flintlock you know it's like because why not you know it's cool. gonna be fun and enjoyable so it adds to the experience you know yeah more texture you know yeah um absolutely so when it comes to hunting what is your muzzleloader of choice I, I usually range for my 50 caliber Hawken. It's a, it's the Thompson center. And I, I have a two traditions, uh, Kentucky rifles too, that I've built. I, I built one when I was 15 and it, I did a horrible job, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea what I was doing back then, but it's still mine. And then I have another one, which I did later that looks way better and, <laughs> got a nice blooming job on it and all that but i i usually reach for the the thompson center only because my grandpa built it mm-hmm. and it means a lot to me but i never understand when i hear people say oh well it's a muzzleloader it's not very accurate i'm just like dude i literally you know i have open sights too you know i don't mm-hmm. use ghosts which i have no problem if anybody does but i i just choose not to and I've taken multiple deer, hundred plus yards with that thing, and you know, dropped them. And I, 
I've never had an issue with inaccuracy. I mean, that thing shoots very accurately. And in fact, two years ago, I was hunting. I live here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I have a hunting lease south of town. And I, the buck I was after was a, a super nice 13 point buck that I'd had on camera for a couple years. And I finally mm-hmm. had my run in with him and he snuck in behind me and I, I turned around and he's looking straight at me. And I just had this moment where it was like, well, I'm shooting now or I'm never going to see him again. And I, I put it right, right there on his, his neck bone and I hit his neck hmm. at 50 yards. So anybody who says the muzzleloader is inaccurate is dead wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree. That's something we try and been, we've been trying to put a dent in that, in that uh, belief, because I think there's a lot of people that just are not, uh, they're not like meaning, you know, not, uh, man, I can't think today for some reason. They're not, <laughs> they're not trying to do harm to muzzle loading. It's just, they, they're kind of ignorant to it, you know, and yeah, they don't know. They don't yeah. know better. Yeah. And muzzle loading, muzzle loaders are very accurate. I mean, during the, during the revolutionary war with the Kentucky rifle, they were taking shots at like very long distances. Like I was baffled by the distances yeah. they were taking shots. I think like 500 yards was one that I'd heard of. Um, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And so for people to say that they're not accurate, it's just not true, you know, but they may not know. And so I always try to like right. you know, gently educate people and, you know, it's it, oftentimes it's people doing incorrect things with muzzleloaders if they're experiencing inaccuracy because there are so many more variables that go into muzzleloading. It's not as simple as just putting a shell in the chamber. You have to pay attention to the fact that you're packing it down consistently and, and you know, the same amount of powder and all these different things go into it. Right. Yep. What, what kind of patch you're using, if it's too thin or if you're getting too much play on your, your bullet or whatever, it's, there's more to it, but that's what makes it more interesting too. So exactly, exactly. Um, so talk to me about Hawk and Horse and the music that you create. Does it have a specific genre and and that sort of thing? Because I've been listening to uh, your songs just on repeat, and I can't really think of. It's kind of like the only thing I can describe it as is like mountain man music. You know, there's really not a good way to describe it. You know. Yeah, and I. <laughs> I've struggled myself trying to figure out what to call it. I think I finally landed on folk, but it's not even truly like traditional folk. It's more modern folk. And, but it also has some country to it, like Mm -hmm. some, some stripped down traditional country. I don't know. I honestly, I'm still figuring it out. I don't know what it is. It's, it is mountain man music, however. And it's, it's music that, is stripped down and one of you know one of the things with hog and horse i didn't want it to be a history lesson set the music Mm -hmm. i didn't i i love history obviously and i love music but i also know that most people won't listen to that again Mm -hmm. you know it's there's a reason why you know the songs you learn in school you don't listen to them <laughs> later. I mean, I'm just a bill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. It's they're helpful for learning, but it doesn't make it entertainment. Yeah. And so yep. part of what I want to do is I want to, you know, romanticize, inspire, and bring people into muzzle loading living history, all these things that have never been exposed to it in their life Mm -hmm. by giving a soundtrack. And so some of my songs do have some history in them. Yes. But some of them, I really focus more on what a mountain man would have felt like. What, what was, what was this guy experiencing in January in Northern Utah, you know, Mm -hmm. like what, what was it like to run a, a trap line in the Rocky mountains when the Blackfeet are trying to kill you and, and the price of beaver pelts are going down and you're just trying to hack out a living 
that's more I, I want to focus on the emotions and the the experience and so if you notice a lot of my songs I write from the present mm-hmm. so I'm writing the past from the present which is what makes it super unique and I don't think anybody else is doing this right now but on this album that's coming out the first week of August um, it's focused all on Jeremiah Johnson, John Coulter, uh, Jedediah Smith, like the fur trade of the Rocky Mountains. Um, you know, Jeremiah Johnson, that movie had such an impact on me, and obviously it did on the whole muzzleloading world as well. But mm-hmm. um, that soundtrack to that movie is that's my go-to cd like it lives in my truck yeah and i listen to that thing i mean it's all the work tapes and demos that weren't even on the movie i listen to that mm-hmm. every day on my drive downtown and i guarantee you i'm the only songwriter doing that <laughs> probably influences but, why you're making this kind of music now so <laughs> yeah it it was it was the natural progression it was just what I love, my two loves combining. And so Hawk and Horse, the name, I mean, is kind of self-explanatory. I love Hawkins. I have my grandfather's Hawkins. I love Jeremiah Johnson. Mm-hmm. I love muzzleloaders. And horse, I mean, I, I just love the outdoors. I love horses. I love, you know, it just makes sense. My One of my co-writers, he said, you just called it Hawking Horse because it rhymes with Rockin' Horse. <laughs> I'm like, no, I didn't think about that actually, but yeah, it I. does make it kind of roll off the tongue, though. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you have other members of your band? I I have collaborators that I work with. Um, I have two co-writers that have helped me so far. Everything else I've done myself. And my two co-writers, one is Danny Simpson, and he – he is a longtime Nashville writer. He's had hits by Kenny Chesney and Brad Paisley and all this, but he also is a closet wannabe mountain man. <laughs> and, Aren't we all? <laughs> right. And I'll, I'll never forget. I, I took a trip out to Yellowstone a couple years ago and he lent me a book about red cloud. And he's like, here's a book for your trip. And I took it with me and I, we were camping in West Yellowstone and I had left the book out on the picnic table and a pop-up storm rolled through, soaked the book. I mean, you couldn't even pull the pages apart. It was drenched. Oh, man. And I, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll get you a new book. And he was like, Oh no, this, this makes the book even more valuable. Now it happened <laughs> out in mountain man country. It, it was destroyed. So Anyway, he uh, he helped me, and then another co-writer, Brooke Maloof, she's from Texas, and I've been writing with her for, gosh, going on 15 years, and she's obsessed with the West in general, and in Montana, and Yellowstone, she loves that show, Yellowstone. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, she was like, I want to help, I want to help, so those are my two collaborators thus far. And, um, I have no real plans of touring as of yet. It's just, I want to create music and I want to tell a story of frontiersmen and native Americans and their stories of, you know, of the past and connect them to today. And, and we'll see where it goes. I mean, things have really snowballed, because this literally started just as a whim. I had written some songs. Uh, I wrote Free, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I just, on a whim, I was like, I guess I'll put it out there. And I released it, and I started getting so much feedback from people who are literally doing, like, they're out there. I, I talked to a, a guy from, I think it was Idaho, who literally – rides a mule five days a week through the back country doing like uh research for the park system 
and he's like, I love this song. This is, this is like my life. Mm -hmm. And I've had historical living history folks who are like, this is, this is so real. Like, cause it talks about building your own cabin and making your own clothes. And, mm -hmm. and so a lot of these makers are identifying with it as well. And so it just started snowballing and, and I was like, I guess I better do a whole record. So <laughs> it just, and my wife's blown away. She's like, wait, there's people out there like you who <laughs> love muzzle loading and buckskins. Yeah. I was like, you better believe it. Yeah. They're out there. There's lots of them. Um, yeah. So that kind of leads me to my other question of like the, um, your background in music. And so you yeah. said you've been interested in music for a long time since you were a kid. But how did you get involved yeah. in country music and what did you do in that space and all that kind of thing? Yeah. So I've always loved music, as I said, and as I, as I got older, I, I actually got a business degree um, from Wright State in Dayton, Ohio. And I went into the outdoor industry. I, I worked for a company called Equinox Limited where we made backpacking gear I always wanted to be connected to the outdoors. Mm -hmm. It was just, I wanted history in the outdoors and in a soundtrack playing the whole time. And, but the whole time I was writing songs at night, I would come home and stay up until 1 a.m. just playing my guitar and writing lyrics. And it was just kind of a hobby. And my wife and I moved uh, back home to Ohio. We had been in Pennsylvania and when we got there, I couldn't find a job. And I was, and my son had just been born. And I was like, well, I guess I'll stay home with him this year and write some songs and just for fun. And within a year, I had a cut by 90s country star Andy Griggs. And I was like, wow, this is easy. <laughs> wow. Wow, was I wrong? But, yeah. but I, I had some, early success and I ended up moving down here to Nashville because I just had so many collaborations happening and so many, you know, recordings and so much action that I, I had to be here. You know, you got to be present to win as they say. Mm -hmm. And so I've had a pretty cool, pretty cool career. I, you know, I haven't had any massive, like, you know, lady gaga cuts or anything but i <laughs> i've had a couple top 40 billboard songs i i wrote a blue bandana by jared neiman mm. and i i also wrote uh selfish by stephanie stephanie quayle who's a montana mountain country gal um andy griggs i mentioned i've it's cool i've i've been able to collaborate with people my dad just it blew like i wrote with the doobie brothers i <laughs> i wrote and i don't know if you remember lynn from the 90s that rock band they had that can't steal my sunshine song from the 90s i i wrote with with him um i probably would, pretty but cool I was, yeah i was born in 1999 yeah. so it's probably a little bit before my time yeah you were you were still watching watching Barney at that time but it was <laughs> <laughs> but I've been able to do some cool stuff and yeah. and I love the music industry and I also am a producer so I I'll go into the studio and book a band and produce country acts and I do a lot of Texas country um I don't know if you've ever heard of Tristan Merez or uh Logan Stanford or uh who else off the top of my head, uh, uh, Bree Bagwell. And there's a bunch of Texas acts who do more of that nineties country sound. Mm -hmm. And I have a ton of songs recorded down there. And I also work with Shelby Lee Lowe and he's a, he's a traditional country. Like, I don't know. I'd put him kind of like in a Clint black, Tracy Lawrence kind of sound. So, so I wear a lot of hats down here. Um, <laughs> there's this term that they use in the industry called a multi-hit songwriter. And 
I've always said, really, you're just a multi-hat songwriter because to survive the music industry, you've got to do, you got to hustle. You got to mm-hmm. do more than just write songs. You got to, you got to make demos and you got to be a producer and you got to pitch songs. And so it is, it's a lot of work and it's getting harder and harder to make a living as a songwriter actually, because just the way the, the entire industry's built now, you know, streaming is literally a, a microscopic fraction of what CDs used to be back in the day in the heyday. Mm-hmm. So being just a, a pure songwriter is kind of a, a lost art and, a, you know, it's going extinct for sure. And that's, I'm sure, part of why I was like, well, I'm going to do Hawk and Horse. I'm going to make this band. I'm going to write Mountain Man songs, do what I want to do. Because mm-hmm. if I'm working for pennies, I want to work for my pennies, you know. I want to, <laughs> I want it to be st- something I love. So – uh, a, a buddy of mine, Johnny Jolin, told me long ago, he said, for any job or gig you do, he's like, there's three things you got to think about. There's the songs you're playing. There's the money you're getting paid. And there's your band. It's like the hang, you know. Mm. And you have to have two of those be awesome for it to be worth your time. Because if if the the hang's great and you're having fun and the songs are great but you're not getting paid anything it's still it was enjoyable and you you'll have a great experience if you're getting paid a lot and you like your band but you're playing songs you just hate you know you can get over it because you Mm -hmm. have the hang and the money so i've always i've always had that in the back of my mind you got to check two or three, two of the three for it to be worth your while. And yeah. so that's part of, partly why Hawk and Horse is here. So I kind of want to talk about the future of Hawk and Horse too. Um, the, I saw you posted today as of, as of recording that uh, you have some more music coming out tonight. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, I've, this is the last single off of the upcoming record. And it's called Outside In. And it's interesting because I had not expected this much positive feedback. And so I had recorded these songs long ago mm-hmm. and just set up releases as singles. And so when you're looking at the album, the singles that I picked don't necessarily, they're not the songs you would have maybe guessed I would have picked mm-hmm. but that's because I wrote the rest of the album after these were already in the queue <laughs> and so and not not that they're inferior songs but I they're just they're different mm-hmm. and so this is one I'm super pumped about actually it's called outside in and it's a it's the campfire mix so it's literally recorded by a campfire outside nice and it's it's very mountain manny uh the lyrics are very mountain manny but they're also tangible and palatable to a modern listener as an everyday song so mm-hmm. it might it's in that gray area of like i think everybody will be able to get some out of it and and it's also got some beautiful harmonies on there and it's a very intimate recording but this is the last single until the album drops on august 6th and, and um i'm doing a lot of cool uh release stuff i'm 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 going to be uh in a couple magazines here this month which i'm pretty pumped about and i was able to do a, a guest write on frontier partisans it's a history site mm-hmm. um jim's great over there he does history on different you know mountain men cowboys and yeah he's definitely a muzzler guy um but beyond this album as a creative my mind my gears are turning my i'm like oh i need to do an album about this or that Mm -hmm. i've got to now that people like are giving me the time of day i'm like oh here we go you you (laughs) 
you gave me a license to get crazy. So yeah. I will admit I have an another another whole record already done behind this one. For hot horse? Yes. Man, that I am so I am so excited about and it's inspired by Daniel Boone. And which I gotta give some credit to uh the Bear Grease Meat Eater podcast, Clay Newcomb over there for he yep. he did like a three part Daniel Boone series and I was I listened to that. I was driving to Wisconsin for deer season and I listened to that on my drive and I was like, I need to put these songs out. There's people out there who care about this. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment when I was like, I guess. And then I think on that drive is when I came up with the idea of Hawking Horse. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so I have another whole album probably coming out early next year as well and and a lot more songs that are being written as well so fantastic um yeah i'm i'm pretty excited for people to hear what's coming and i and this album that's coming out in august i think folks are going to love it i've got some really cool songs and i've there's been folks in the media who have heard it ahead of schedule and they mm-hmm. were just like pumped yeah so i and i've been invited to do a lot of cool stuff so i'm I'm hoping this grows legs and we can take this somewhere real cool. Totally. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Cause I, before I was able to chat with you, um, I heard the three songs and I was like, I love these three songs, but I want more. I need more content. Yeah. And so I'm excited <laughs> to know that there's an album coming out in, in a month and, um, that there's going to be more content just like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pumped. I'm, you know, my inner history nerd is like, oh, I've, I've got to write about Lewis and Clark, and I've yeah. got to write about Coulter and Simon Kenton, and my my wheels are like turning. I'm like, I've got to rein this in. Yeah, yeah. And and then you know, I have so much interaction from folks on Instagram and Facebook, and and they're history buffs, and they're wanting to talk about this rifle or talk about this history book, and and they've all got their favorite things and I know they want a song about this and this. And so that feeds my fire. It really does. And it, it inspires me. So, um, anyway, I hope, I hope everybody loves the album and, you know, it's kind of like my wife with, with baking, she runs off of praise. Mm-hmm. So if you give her enough praise, Oh, she'll make something else. She'll, She'll make you cookies or make you a pie. I'm the same thing. I mean, if I'm encouraged, get ready. Here comes another album. So yes, yeah, you can live off an encouraging word for a month, <laughs> for sure. Especially yeah. in the music industry, believe me. Yeah. Well, I think the tough thing about music too is, um, you know, in any sort of creative, uh, because I do yeah. I do a lot of creative stuff, and this is to a much less degree than music because this is for my job. But when you're creating sure. music, you're putting a part of yourself into this song and then putting it out there for people to see. And so you're really kind of hanging yourself out to dry. And so to hear a good response from that, you know, really is extremely encouraging in, in a creative space. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of uh, period uh, painters and artists that I follow on Instagram. And I always, I try to make sure I comment and encourage them. You're doing a great job because sometimes you, you put it out there and it's just like cricket. Yep. Yep. And it's like a gut punch, you know, you're like, Oh man, everybody hates me. And like, or your mom's the only one that comments yeah. and you're like, oh. thanks. Mom. Everybody's thankful. <laughs> yeah. You gotta love your mom. She's always got your back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thankful. Thanks for the, for mom. Yeah. Seriously. Shout out to all the moms out there. Um, yes. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. That's awesome. And I think that uh, for you guys listening, if you are if you love muzzleloading, then you will very much enjoy listening to Hawk and Horse. And um, I found you just on Spotify. But, like, what are – how can people find you? Yeah, I'm I'm on all the streaming services. I'm, I think the only one I'm not on is Pandora, I'm, and I'm working on that one right now. But 
you can find me Apple Music, Amazon, uh, YouTube, even um, Spotify. Spotify and Apple Music tend to be the big ones for me. Mm-hmm. The, that's where the majority of my listeners are. Um, also um, at hawkinghorse.com, I've got CDs if you're old school and want to. <laughs> if you still have a CD. You know, yeah. If you, yeah. You want to support me by buying a, a coaster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you have so- a CD coaster. How can people support you as well? Um, like, do you have hats, like merch and stuff like that? Yeah, I've got merch. I've got t-shirts, coffee mugs. Uh, you know, I got a couple different hats. I'm a big coffee guy. I love coffee. So I have several coffee cup, coffee mug options. Um, but yeah, that goes a long way, actually. I mean, that's, that's kind of like buying a CD in the 90s. I mean, it's very supportive to the artist and the streaming you know it's it's very helpful and that's that's what keeps the engine going but it's you know definitely not (laughs) the support it's not going to get anybody by so the uh the merch is really what makes a difference for a a musician so totally always always welcome to to buy a hat at hawkinghorse.com i i appreciate that Got it. I see. I see. You have the I love muzzleloading hat. Did you uh, have you connected yeah. with Ethan or? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love all the content he makes. I love. I I find myself binge watching his YouTube channel a lot. I'll yeah. I'll be sitting there and watching him work on that hawk and he was building, and I actually love the detail that. There, I know some purists are like, "Why are you adding this faux?" Yeah. You know, like whatever grain to the wood and i was like you know what i think it's really cool actually i'm not gonna lie and yeah and i mean it's crazy you can you can get a traditions hawking kit for a couple hundred bucks i mean why not do one like this do one like this it's Mm kind of it's a good hobby especially in the winter like i you know it's when you're not hunting and you want to do something with muzzle loading build a kit yeah i actually just I just ordered one of those Kibler, well, pre-ordered one of those Woods Runner because I really oh, wanted. Yeah. I'm really wanting a uh, a flintlock. I don't have a flintlock yet, and it's always been something I wanted, but it was kind of like mysterious to my family, so I never ended mm-hmm. up getting one when I was younger. So that's happening, and then I'm I'm thinking about doing another hawking because I act, I haven't actually built a hawking yet myself. So that's true because you my, like the Kentucky rifles, right? Yeah, those are the ones I've built, and the the Hawken I have, my grandpa built. So that's on my bucket list too. So yeah. I just I just love it's like Legos I for love, grownups. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy. Yeah, it's like Legos. I I really so I have working here. I have access to pretty much any muzzleloader I really want to use, like. I can yeah. hunt with anything or, you know, shoot anything or whatever. So I'm going to use yeah. the Kentucky, the traditions, Kentucky flintlock, but it's like, it's just not quite the same as like when you have a kit, you build it, you know, and yeah. it's like, that's yours. Like you kind of like what you're saying, like right. with the music, you know, you put a piece of yourself into what you're doing when you're being creative. And so yeah. um, I think the next project, I really, really enjoyed shooting uh, the, the traditions uh, flintlock Kentucky. So I think I'll probably do that as a kit for my next one. Um, and cool. I love Hawkins too. Um, so, I'll, but yeah, you know, they're not that expensive. They're like two, 300 yeah. bucks. Just do one, you know, then you can do another one. You can do another one. They're just, they're a great hobby, you know? Yeah. And it's honestly a lot more affordable hobby than a lot of hobbies. It's more <laughs> affordable than Legos. It. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I definitely know my daughter, she loves Legos. So it's, we have, we, I don't even want to think about how much I've invested in Legos. Uh, well, it seemed like when I was a kid, Legos weren't that expensive. You could, you know, you could get a thing of Legos, yeah. like get a Lego set for like twenty bucks. Nowadays, to get a decent Lego set, yeah. it's like eighty bucks minimum. You know? It's yeah. Like, what the heck? Yeah. What happened to Legos? <laughs> so true. They're made out of solid gold or yeah. something. But um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, definitely, definitely build a kit. And um, we actually have recorded several podcasts with Ethan. Um, so if you guys are listening to this and are interested in, in just specifically kit building, 
Um, I'll yeah. put links above to the podcast we recorded with Ethan, um, and you guys can check that out. Also, definitely check out Ethan's channel because he does, like you said, tons of awesome content. So, it's yeah, it's great. I actually watched the one the other night of when he was shooting a different uh, bullets at the jugs. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I was like, I, I can't stop watching this. Like, this is just, I don't know. Yeah. My wife's like, Oh, here we go again. Yeah. He's I'm like, <laughs> he's entertaining. Yeah. The, the, he had the post yeah. on, uh, Oh man, I guess it was this past weekend. Cause it's, it's July 7th. So it was 4th of July weekend. And he had the, um, yeah. he was shooting the red coat target. He's like, yeah, the chances of getting domed by a red coat are, are, sl- are slight, but never zero, <laughs> but <laughs> never me. zero. Got me. Yeah. He's funny guy. Funny guy. Um, awesome. Uh, so hawkandhorse.com get your music yeah. you can buy cds you can go spotify apple music pretty much anywhere you stream you can find the music um you don't have any plans of touring right now but if you do be sure to send me a text and i will i will do my best yes. to make it to a concert so <laughs> absolutely i i do plan on uh i'm gonna be at cla this year because i just want to meet some folks i'm not like a vendor or anything i'm just i just want to meet some folks in the some of the makers and the living history folks. And that's not too far from Nashville. That's a couple hour drive over mm-hmm. to Lexington, Kentucky. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm eager to meet some, some of the veterans of this industry. And, you know, I love talking to folks who know a lot of information. Cause I, I love, I'm a sponge. Mm-hmm. I really am. And I, you know, it's, it, I've grown up shooting, you know, muzzleloaders almost my whole life, but I still learn constantly from, I love muzzleloading or uh, folks I talk to on social media who have been doing this for, you know, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a sponge. I love all, I love history and I love shooting, uh, shooting those red coat targets too. Totally. Fun. Yeah. Um, well, I really appreciate you joining us on the show. Uh, it's been awesome chatting with you. Well, it's been an honor to be here. I'm so glad you asked me and, uh, I love this podcast. Actually, I, I listen to it all the time and, um, love your guys' company too. So it's kind of a cool experience to be on here for sure. Yeah. And we'll have to have you back sometime. Maybe after the album drops or something, we'll have you on for another follow-up podcast. So yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Well, for you guys listening, thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you want to support our show, make sure to like, comment, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on one of the audio platforms, leave a review. And that's going to help get our content out in the people's whose hands who need it. And uh, be sure to check out Hawk and Horse. Um, give him your support. Listen to his music. It's awesome stuff. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>